0: I'm Ed Maguan, and you're listening to Woke Up PH, where we talk social issues relevant to today's youth.
1: can expect more imported rice to enter the country as the rice liberalization law takes effect today. Republic Act 11203 was signed by President Rodrigo Duterte on February 14th. The law lifts import restrictions on rice to make the price affordable for all. but with the law now in effect Many farmers in the Philippines are having trouble feeding their families. A kilo of an house price or pala used to sell up to 23 pesos per kilo last year. It dipped to 17 pesos this August.
0: The aftershocks of the implementation of the rice tarification law erupted a few weeks ago when media outlets everywhere had farmers clamoring for help. They said that the influx of foreign supply had left local rice prices at an all time low, putting their livelihoods and the future of their families at risk. Today, we talk to Harold Liu. Chief strategist of the Rice Pinas group, an ad hoc movement that created a channel to enable local rice farmers to directly sell to consumers and maximize their profits. Currently, within a month of operations, Rice Pinas has garnered over a thousand volunteers, and just in their first drop, they were able to raise over 1.2 million pesos for the par- for the farmers to process the palay on their own. Today, he talks about what led to the current administration's implementation of the rice certification law the consistently present rice crisis in the country, and what we can do as citizens to help. Uh, welcome, Harold, to the podcast.
1: All right. Thanks, Ed, for uh, giving us your time and uh, allowing us to um, tell our story on your platform. Right, right. Yeah.
0: We're so excited to All tell right. your story, especially because yeah. this is, especially more mm-hmm. than ever, not, That now is a time when um, it's a trending topic. We we all know that um, problems in our agriculture industry, it's not new having problems in our agriculture industry, but now is the perfect time to really hammer on it because everyone's talking about it. And how we want to start this conversation, I guess, is talk, to talk about the rice tarification law, the rice tarification act. If you could just quickly tell our listeners, like what is the rice tarification law all about? What is it exactly? And why was it implemented? And perhaps now people are saying that you know it backfired, and what really caused this whole issue that you know it's becoming such a big problem right now?
1: well I guess with uh with regards to the law, it was more of a response to a couple of things uh, with uh, the situation that happened last year in which um, most food prices here in Manila or in the urban centers here in the Philippines, rose to um, basically unrealistic levels, or at least to levels that were basically uh, higher than what was normally the status quo. Because of how it developed, how the situation developed and snowballed quite quickly, rapidly over the course of about two, three months, just as we're experiencing with the drop in prices now. The law basically allowed for the importation of rice basically just to stabilize the situation. Since uh, in the past few years, uh, we've also noticed the swing in these prices, uh, regardless of the administration, because of a lot of other factors that um, have affected the agriculture sector. And uh, secondly, it was also a response to our failure to keep up with our commitments internationally, specifically with our trade agreements, because we've protected the rice industry locally for more than 20 years since we've been a partner or a yeah a partner in the World Trade Organization. Instead of um, or rather being able to respond to the to our commitments in lowering those trade barriers with regards to rice, or else we would be slapped with uh, possibly retaliatory tariffs on our other agricultural products which we export.
0: And that was what yeah. happened, you know. That's what that was what happened before. But how is that, yeah. you know, backfiring? To- with us, with, with what's happening now, and all all the problems that we're seeing now, that our our farmers are experiencing.
1: I think it's not more. That's not more of a backfiring in the sense that um, it was a misguided uh, uh, endeavor. Rather, what's happening now is an effect of the law that uh, was basically foreseen by a lot of the economic managers. But the response to it has been. A little bit tepid at best, because uh we're still grasping the severity of how how it's impacted our economy uh, I think uh I will defer with uh, to what the Secretary of Agriculture has said that the law has been passed uh just early this year, so they're still uh working as to how to effectively manage the situation because um The drop in prices, while it was uh, projected, they did not expect it to drop as low as it did. And uh, they're still catching up with how to prevent it from, uh, to prevent uh, basically farmers catching falling knives with regards to their prices.
0: Right. And you mentioned that the prices went lower than uh, they expected, but would you say that the the expected price range that they were hoping that it would get to would that still have been enough for farmers to you know make enough money from how you know to basically survive or feed their families? Would that would, was the goal price um, for most farmers at least still in a, a reasonable range? I
1: don't. Uh, I wouldn't uh, have any sp- particular insight in what they were thinking of. Rather. Uh, I think they were banking on the mechanism wherein uh, tariffs from the imported rice would be would supplement their income as a subsidy for, for example, uh, through mechanization efforts or, for example, supplementing their input costs and whatnot. But this hasn't happened just yet, and uh, it has it didn't happen as fast as they would have wanted it to be. Now, with regards to the prices, I don't think that uh, it was easily foreseen of how it would have dropped. But certainly, uh, based on their own estimates and recommendations, uh, it would have been much less or they they kind of expected that uh, it would reach somewhat of a livable income or barely livable income. That's why they're offering some compensation to farmers or growers of rice. However, it still wasn't enough and it still came in the form of loans. The effect on most growers and farmers would have been a little bit uh, much less to be desired since... It's not necessarily a grant or a direct subsidy that they would benefit from or they would be able to recoup some of their losses from.
0: Right. And supposedly this law was supposed to give back, you know, in a way to the farmers because through the taxes that were being made from imported rice, right? And would is there is there a specific scheme that has already been proposed in terms of how the distribution of this, you know, you know, this additional money that the government's making would go back to the farmers? Do they go to the farmers who, you know, are a bit wealthier, who actually own a lot of land, and then they lease off their lands to like, smaller farmers? Or did they actually go to your, you know, individual farmer who, you know, is our typical face of a farmer in the Philippines?
1: Well, on the face of the law, it prioritizes uh, farmer cooperatives, or at least organized farmers. But... Not all farmers are organized in that manner. Rather, that gap is now being um, observed more closely because some of the organized, or rather, the cooperatives that are in place, uh, do not necessarily cater to a lot of the regular farmers that uh, who are now feeling the brunt of this uh, of the law. Uh, moreover the not all cooperatives as well uh, operate in the manner that is um basically envisioned by anyone because uh some cooperatives um, aren't too focused on or rather operate as um very small businesses that cater to a narrow set of uh, uh, people with uh, the rest being, uh, how should we say this, tethered to the cooperatives uh, in a manner that um, does not benefit them directly. For example, some cooperatives tend to pad their... um, Memberships uh, with farmers who basically don't, sometimes don't know what they're signing for, but they're given a form of uh, a signing bonus or access to loans, which uh, they don't necessarily benefit from in terms of dividends and other um, benefits that would normally trickle down to members of cooperatives.
0: Right. And I want to ask that uh, that for some reason, you know, this rice mm-hmm. crisis hasn't, isn't new to this current administration. This rice crisis seems to be a recurring theme, administration after administration. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is the root cause of this problem? And why isn't it, you know, being addressed by any, or maybe some administrations may have tried to address it, but why do you think administration after administration, whether they've tried or not, why do you think This problem has not been addressed, and what do you think its root cause is?
1: Well, basically, we're still stuck in a very um, outdated system or an outdated agricultural supply chain, which lends itself to a lot of problems. For example, with the previous regime, uh, there was little to no incentive to improve uh, on our agricultural output so with uh, the minimum access volume or the amount that you can import fixed at a certain rate yearly uh, it is we can easily augment or actually control the supply in that that comes to our country from foreign sources uh, which then we're forced to purchase our rice requirement locally but uh, our capacity to produce has, has uh, always deteriorated year, year after year uh, while government statistics would show that uh, we're maintaining or at least somewhat growing our capacity. Uh, to produce raw rice, the capacity to mill it in a more efficient fashion has always been a problem. Uh, compared to some of our neighbors uh, here in Asia, our um, capacity to mill or actually our recovery rate has relatively ma- been maintained That. 50 to 60% maybe 70 at most while our neighbors are uh, hitting upwards of 70% in their uh, in their mailing operations. so that in itself leads to more losses locally and uh there was no real incentive to improve on our production capabilities and capacity so we've never explored mechanization. you know. We've been very slow in the uptake and absorption of uh, a lot of the technologies that are already available uh, locally because um, we were protected. We did not have any incentive to improve on our capacities to be more efficient, essentially.
0: Um, what I want to ask in relation to what you just said yeah. is that, um, it almost seems like you know, even since ever since we were in elementary school, our textbooks would tell us we're a farmland-rich country. Philippines is an agricultural country. Um, there's lots of farmland here, and yet we see this rice shortage. Um, and for a while now, importation has always been you know necessary for the Philippines, which is which kind of has a disconnect, right? When when we'd always be told we are a we are a rice-producing country, we are an agricultural country, but actually when you look at the topography of the Philippines and you look at the landscape, we we actually have a lot of mountains that are not, you know, we can't actually plant on them. Would you actually say that, you know, while over the years the Philippines has invested a lot on, you know, um, planting rice and the agriculture industry, is the Philippines really that, you know, is the land really overall, if we talk about the whole Philippines, are really that prime for agriculture? Or was it something that, you know, a lot of people... Just got into the business of agriculture, and the, to some level, the government just had to you know, support them because that's what a lot of you know the Filip- Filipinos were already doing or were already into. What do you have to say about you know that that at least mindset or perception?
1: Well, I think that uh, in any kind of country or in any civilization for that matter, farming has always been the backbone of any economy or any way of life. And uh, with regards to our capacities and capabilities, there was a time and place for it to have exceeded our own needs or our own demands. But today, uh, we're barely keeping up with the growth in population and all these other factors, which lead to... Uh, or rather, which is caused partially by our uh, inefficiencies. Now, uh, on a broader scale or in the bigger picture, we're looking at uh, agriculture through the lens of our own capacity. So most of the rice produced in the Philippines come from the Rice bowl, or what we call the plains of uh, Luzon, which is Central Luzon, right? Yeah, Central Luzon, then parts of uh, and Isabela for that matter, but also in Mindanao we have a lot of these uh, areas that are relatively unused or underutilized. So while we still have that capacity to produce rice per hectare more than what uh what we're used to uh again i will still boil it down to our own efficiencies and capacities we right. can produce we can produce the the agricultural products that we need to maintain uh, our own supply or to satisfy our local demands but we have yet to reach the ineffic- the efficiencies and the uh basically production qual- production quality is one the production efficiency is another and also how we go about things i mean we've been used to a lot of um methods and um uh ways of doing businesses that may not necessarily be as cost effective today as compared to how they were some 20 30 or more even more Decades ago. Do you think this
0: has contributed to, um, you know, in the past, the our agriculture industry in the Philippines would take up maybe around 20 to 30% of our GDP, whereas now it's already at the single digit. So clearly there has been a decline in the contribution of um, agriculture to our country's GDP, despite the fact that um, we still continue to call ourselves an uh, agricultural country. And aside from that, um, it seems to be that the poverty incidence amongst those who, you know, are in the farming industry is also much higher. And why do you think this decline in overall um, GDP contribution, in overall wealth, because of the people we see who are in agriculture, are the ones who are typically in the lower socioeconomic economic classes? And we also see a decline as well in, you know, interest amongst the youth today in agriculture. What has caused this huge decline in all these aspects in our agriculture industry in the Philippines?
1: Again, I would pivot to it being very uh, a hard way of earning a living for that matter. Mm -hmm. So it lends itself to a lot of social and cultural factors wherein most of uh, the current generation have moved on or their parents have not only pushed them away from... The industry itself, but really um, basically threatening them that if they are, uh, if they, if people, if their children um, keep to the agriculture sector, there won't be any success in their lives. And uh, I think it also lends itself to how a lot of these urban centers have developed since every other person that uh, that lives in the manila for example have has still has uh, a link or so to agriculture they grew up in it but uh, decided to study or focus on more sustainable work And with the growing, for example, I would give uh, Calabarzon as a Cavite Laguna and uh, Mm -hmm. Batangas as an an example, wherein we're now seeing a move towards more industrialized uh, work. So lands there are no longer longer used or uh, rather are underutilized as well. Because most of the farm workers have now shifted to a lot of the factory jobs that are now available or service sector jobs that have cropped up in the area. So uh, we're seeing a little bit less of an output from those areas. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the agricultural sector there has been left behind. Uh, we're still we're we're still seeing the slack being taken up, but there will be a tipping point where these areas may no longer produce the 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 food that is necessary to to cater to their populations. They might have to import from neighboring provinces, uh, for example, from Mindoro or even from the north of uh, Northern Luzon. So that kind of push and pull will still will exist as we go along in uh, in time, but it also it's also stemmed uh, from or rooted rather in the reality that uh, the agricultural sector, for a large part, has been an economically uh, unrealistic. Uh, way of uh, earning or a way of life for a lot of people, but they're tethered to that kind of life because of the lack of other opportunities in the areas that they have. So they tend to be economic migrants themselves, uh, which which uh, in essence lends itself to lends them to just planting and harvesting for their own for their own consumption and possibly having some excess to sell to the market. And do you feel like
0: to some level that now that it's becoming, you know, more and more difficult to, you know, do that kind of job, to be a farmer, to be a rice farmer in the Philippines? And you've mentioned earlier that a lot of people are actually shifting to working in more industrialized jobs. Do you think that in a way the government should be, be more proactive in, you know, perhaps for those who have not shifted into these jobs and you know it has been a slow organic process for these farmers to shift into those jobs is because there was no formal training for them to do it there was no action on terms of the government to you know upscale our farmers into perhaps um, moving into jobs that you know they could make a better living from do you think there is some sort of responsibility from our government to you know upscale our farmers into perhaps jobs that would help them make a living wage or on the other side of the spectrum do you think instead they should um be finding more ways where it is more profitable or they can make a better living in being a farmer which of these two action points do you think the government should be doing more of or do you think they should be doing both period
1: i think it's in the scope of their um their job to do both but I think uh, to be fair to to be fair to the government, they've always had this thrust on um, developing agriculture. It it's just largely been uneven in how it was done, and also mm-hmm. the response to it. So it's a mix of other factors. For example, with the current uh, supply chain, it has to go through four, or five, at least four, or five other people before it reaches the consumer. And each of these links in the chain uh, tend to add on to the cost of uh, the agricultural produce. With regards to what the government has been doing to their credit, they've um, always focused on going directly to the consumer and as well as allowing the or rather teaching farmers and their co- or their cooperatives how to upscale their production and also their um, uh, produce, for example, turning fruits into processed based, processed uh, items like jams or juices or purees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the technology has been widely available. It's just that on the market side, there is basically the harsh reality of business is that most cases there isn't much room for for The processors or the consumers are ourselves. The consumers ourselves to wait for products to be developed in a manner that they would be widely available. And because with the because of the fact that we have uh, we're spoiled for choice, right? Uh, We're able to buy other products on the shelf or in the market that may be of superior quality, but maybe. They come from other parts of uh the Philippines which are more developed in these kinds of products or may most likely come abroad or come from abroad. There is that kind of impatience on a lot of uh parts in the the supply chain now. It also boils down to how uneven the the sector has become, the agriculture sector, since a lot of our natural produce for example, in certain parts of the country uh, where, for example, jackfruit has been the backbone of uh, that agricultural economy or mangoes, they're being grown less and less. So these plantations or these uh, the trees are now being set aside or being left to their own devices. So they're no longer tended to end. There's also that shift to shorter term crops uh, so that their farmers would be able to leverage their produce in a faster or their capital in a faster manner to the market. I feel like from what I'm understanding is that, you know, there's a huge there's a lot of
0: um, seems like a lot of barriers into the whole process of getting uh, products from our farmers to the consumer. And, of course, from the consumer choosing the products that these farmers produce, because supposedly the government does give them the tools to produce these products. But I, what I just want to ask is that, um, isn't it to some level that it is it a bit um, not reasonable to perhaps ask the consumer, like, you know, just prefer this item that may be substandard, um, but because it was made by um, let's say, you know, someone who someone who really made it from self, not made by a big corporation. Um, is actually, you know, a Filipino farmer actually made this and not from like a big conglomerate. When there are countries that are able to, you know, support their um, local farmers by giving them the tools needed to produce world-class or at least very good quality products that can really go, um, that can really, you know, really match those made by big conglomerates or there's actually other, you know, selling points to that. And perhaps there, would you say there may still, at least to get to that level, there is still something lacking in the amount of support being given to these farmers?
1: I think it's more of uh, an outlook on uh, our own local produce because if you compare it with um, our neighbors, basically what we... In our economy, we vote with our wallets and sometimes we tend to, because it is agricultural or because it is food, we tend to uh, make the most out of our money with the produce that we have. So in in essence, what we're doing is uh, reducing the value of uh, our produce. So if we compare it, for example, to other markets like are the producers rather like uh, Vietnam or Thailand? Their local populations are willing to pay for quality. While here, we're we're just uh, if it's a mango, you know, we tend to have this kind of stereotype that it has to be this way, and we'll pay for it if it's this way. Otherwise, what I'm trying to get at is that we tend not to pay for the quality, but we're more focused on the quantity and also the availability on the on the produce now that's good for a certain period but we also have to be able to be to appreciate the, the the time and the effort and as well that goes into producing quality fruits because if we're going to sell uh, or if we're going to produce uh, better quality products then that will have an impact on the cost in terms of the grower and the farmer uh which has to be reflected in the price of uh our produce now it also pivots to the fact that we're not as efficient anymore compared to many of our neighbors who we now compete against so there is a long road ahead in terms of how to develop the agricultural scene and the capacities of our farmers we're playing a long catch-up game which we hope that uh, many of the consumers locally are aware of, or at least with this current crisis, unfortunately, it has to go through this kind of process, but they're being more aware of challenges of our agricultural sector to get to both the quality that the market wants and uh, at a price that is fair and beneficial to all. For example, I go back to the supply chain. Instead of it going through four, five, six hands as it currently does, uh, we can reduce it to one or two before it reaches the market. And maybe in that manner, uh, a bigger piece of the pie goes to the growers and the farmers and as well as making things more efficient down the line, Uh, as well as just producing or learning how to process and meeting halfway. So there is also that disconnect as well with regards to how we pre-process or we process our products. For example, a lot of the farmer cooperatives or uh associations in the provinces uh have been helped by the government to process their own products in case of a surplus in their cra- in their harvest. And uh, while they have kept to the formula of what was taught to them, uh, they haven't uh, met the quality or the necessary standards that the market has uh, or would like for, from them. So it's more of that relationship. For both sides, willing to, for them to both uh, be willing to invest in that kind of relationship, that uh, where it takes time for things to develop, and that patience actually for both the market and the supplier side sometimes falls short of each other. It's not, it's not an impossible goal, but in a lot of cases they fall short of each other because uh, of a lot of other factors that. Uh, play into how these how food basically processed food develops
0: um, something I want to ask uh, you know we talked a lot about the theoretical aspect or yeah. you know the, the business impact of all these of what's happening right now but mm-hmm. something I want to ask you is, as someone who has been able to you know actually speak with our farmers what is the se- current sentiment um, from our you know farmers and growers about the crisis that they're experiencing especially since they're experiencing it firsthand you know a lot of the people listening may have seen some news articles may have read a lot about what politicians have had to say about the issues going on but if you could like share with us just a bit of how um, what the sentiments of our farmers and growers are actually feeling and what they're you know going through right now
1: well in our conversation so far a lot are take a lot of them are taken aback by how prices have shifted downwards specifically with rice since last year uh it was basically the best year that they've had in quite a while then uh less than 12 months later they're now picking up the pieces from the prices that they have so it's been for a lack of a better term they're whiplashed in terms of uh, how to expect it but at the same time Uh, Because of it, they're also feeling a little bit uh, on the short end of things because um, traders now have come into the picture trying to sweep up their produce at a much lower price to be able to sell to the government at the fixed price of 19 pesos, which uh, was declared... A few weeks ago by the Agriculture Department because our farmers don't have the capital or to process their products or even have the uh, ability to wait and maybe dry out their rice because pala in essence when it's uh, harvested has to be dried out before it's milled so uh, the drying process itself for them is a hurdle for the, uh, to do in the provinces because for one, they're used to drying it on roadways which are now heavily used and uh, the tendency is for, ri- for the unmilled rice to be strewn all over the roadways and every paved road that can be seen. But that's not necessarily efficient, nor is it uh, the proper way of doing things. So, there's that. There's there are these gaps that um, they're really beholden to. So, traders would come in and buy their produce at a much lower rate as freshly harvested. Then they would be the ones to process these, dry it out, and possibly mill them, or even just dry them out and sell them to the government for a much higher price. So there are a lot of logistical and um, uh, process barriers for them to be able to benefit even from uh, government's intervention in setting a floor price, for example, for their produce.
0: This issue seems to be super systematic that um, it's like you can't just pull one lever and things will change. It it seems like problems are coming out of you know all different aspects of um, of this issue, and and it almost feels like you know things have have the just because it's been a problem that has been going on perhaps building up for decades, and and that so much people are involved, so much at least agencies or groups are involved in this. It's so hard to just really you know do one thing and have the problem fix itself but i guess at the end of the day what do you feel like is the absolutely necessary first step for things to go you know in the right direction in a much faster way
1: i think we're talking about an economic problem in the sense that uh i believe if i recall my economics classes now there's no one lever to really push you have to push them all and Figure out which one has the most, the better effect because not all methods or not all um, uh, ways of doing things are one available or may not necessarily have uh, the same impact in this in different areas. So, what may be applicable in the north may not necessarily be applicable in the south. That's one, Uh, and yes. The problem is embedded basically in our culture and how we do things. So uh, that systemic uh, problem has to be rooted out in a se- in a way that uh, benefits the farmer the best. One way is to uh, basically connect directly with farmers or at least have them uh, in a more collective manner or organized manner and cooperatives or associations but this thing takes a lot of time i think that's where a lot of people get carried away wherein we want to do something now that will have an effect right away Mm -hmm. there are ways of doing that for example in as much as possible you patronize you patronize produce directly from farmers, but then you get to another hurdle wherein you have to sort through which of these came directly from farmers or which of these came through the the supply chain wherein the farmer gets the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that much choice yet. But as we see in the marketplace, there are now platforms and cooperatives themselves who are reaching out to the market directly so we just have to find those we can patronize easily because it also is a lifestyle of supporting our local agriculture is also a lifestyle in the sense that we have to actively choose to purchase for example rice or vegetables fruits and whatnot that are locally produced sourced from the farmers some people might uh, prefer them to be organic so these small and short steps can be or can lead us to doing the right thing but in essence this is just one aspect of the equation so we don't necessarily have to upend how their uh, how growers and all all these in between, have lived their lives but rather it's finding it's helping the growers themselves develop their own capacity such that they can go directly to the market and uh, offer their products whether it's to consumers or to commercial accounts or even to processors because that's that's where we can only lead to unless we're ready to set aside a huge chunk of Uh, our economy and our population as growers and we like to end our podcast
0: every time with a call to action for the youth at least who you know um, who primarily listen to our podcast and you mentioned some action points earlier especially on you know choosing to buy local choosing local um, choosing local produces that were made by these growers and the farmers. But yeah. I, what I want to ask is like, in terms of both a maximum and a minimum the Filipino youth can do, what do you think is that maximum and minimum they can do in you know, helping out with the current crisis or at least with the whole local agricultural sector in general? Would you say what you mentioned earlier was the maximum or perhaps that would be the minimum? And if it was one or the other, what would be, you know, if that was the minimum, what's the maximum?
1: I think, at the least, people should, with everything that's happened, should be basically try to learn more about uh, our own agricultural produce. So I've mentioned earlier, um, a lot of uh, the families here have have at least relatives or at least know people who are still in the provinces, so they can learn about the real situation there and how things are done in their respective communities. So that they get a grasp of the situation and how deep and rooted the problem is, for Mm -hmm. one. And uh, yeah, um, basically know how food comes to their plate. By at least knowing how these dynamics go, uh, we get the sense of how they can uh, help out or at least figure out the root problem of why things are such. Another way is uh that I hope that they can develop is um from what they've learned they would know better how to or where to purchase their stuff where they pur- to purchase their food mm-hmm. from so that they know from their own uh from their own research where their food comes from and how it will affect downstream or in the local communities because a drop in the bucket in Manila goes a long way in whatever province or whatever locale these products do come from and I guess that's at the least that we can do for our farmers and our uh, the agricultural sector is to know where your food has come from all the other factors that come into play should uh, be more clear or more consistent as time goes on because it is only by knowing how things work do we can we figure out the proper solutions to the problems that we have yeah because um, you know at the end if we really want to do things beyond uh, just helping or Responding to a donation drive to maybe placate our own consciences that, uh, okay, I've done something. Basically, this is a long road where sometimes we might lose out as a country because we do produce it at a very high price. But the idea is if we patronize our own local produce, there and that uh, what we pay for goes more to the farmers than to any other chain in the link that in itself is an incentive that the agricultural sector one is now becoming a economically viable livelihood and at the same time it leads our farmers to invest in themselves and in their capacities which in the long run should be able to reduce not only their cost of production, but also for them to benefit more from their produce or how how they sell it.
0: Thank you, Harold.
1: All right. Thank you, Ed.
0: This show is made by Harvin Ang, Carmela Bangsal, Janina David, Katrina Lim, Mahaventa, Jillian Pua, Ad Sales, Santos, Jal Sule, Elise Suma and Earl Perray If you like this episode share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe rate and review woke up pH wherever you listen to your podcast. That's all for this week we'll see you next Wednesday for a new episode of Woke up pH. News clips from this episode were taken from CNN Philippines. No copyright infringement intended.